This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we've got an awesome episode for you today. Luke Grimm, wide receiver of the bull-eligible Kansas football team, is going to join me to talk about what that feels like. To say that you're bowl eligible at Kansas. He was 2-19 and in his career coming into this season. We'll talk to Luke. Great conversation. Great kid. I think you'll enjoy that. And we'll also talk some hoops with CJ Moore of The Athletic, who has an awesome piece up right now. I highly, highly recommend you go and check it out. He got to sit down with Bill Self and rewatch last year's national championship game. And Self basically narrates his thoughts. You get uh, not just his thoughts, but I think the most interesting part of it is his emotional sort of ride that he is on watching this game for what I would imagine to be the 20th time since that game back in April. But it's one of those pieces that you kind of have to go back and read two or three times because there are so many little insights and nuggets to glean that maybe you don't pick up on the first time. So you go back and you read it again and you find something different that sort of makes you think differently about that game. It's a really cool piece, really cool conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. But I want to start with this year's Kansas basketball team. I think this team is going to be better than I expected. Not that I thought that they were going to completely fall off. And maybe you didn't think they were were, were going to be anything less than one of the top five teams in the country like the AP poll would suggest. But I thought that that was maybe a little bit of a bump from winning the national championship last year. I thought there would be growing pains early and there still might be. But through two games, it looks better than I thought it would this early in this season. I'm not going to make any you know big, bold proclamations in this episode, but I do want to share some observations on what I've seen through two games because I know some of these might change after Kansas plays Duke on Tuesday. Jalen Wilson seems to be very comfortable as the lead guy. I know that everything's going to look better when you're making shots, which he is. He's shooting... 46% from three-point range, and he's taken a lot of mid-range jumpers, which I know drives people crazy because they're inefficient, but I don't know what you want him to do. A lot of those are coming, all of those are coming in the half court, and usually they're at the end of a shot clock. You can't, I know it sounds great in theory to just say, you know, put your head down and drive to the rim. You can't do that on every single play, and we're two games into the season Guys don't necessarily know where they're supposed to be at all times. And if it's in the flow of the offense or it's the end of a shot clock, I don't have a huge problem with it as long as it's in rhythm. It's just unrealistic to expect that every single shot is going to come from three-point range or at the rim. I just like the, the mentality that he seems to be playing with. And this is actually something, going back to CJ's piece, that it, I kind of I didn't think about last year at all. But it seems like even in that national championship game, some of the things that that Bill Self shared with CJ was that Jalen's a very vocal guy on the sidelines. And that leadership aspect wasn't something that I think got a lot of attention last year because you had Ochai and Christian and Dave. That Jalen was not the forgotten one, but just the guy who didn't get as much love or publicity. He seems to be very naturally transitioning into the guy on this team. And that doesn't mean that he's going to go out and score 21 points every single night, but everybody knows who to look to. Like he's the guy who's getting 
two, three touches every single time down the court. And I think that's positive, not just that, that he is that dude, but that everybody else recognizes whose team this is. And that was one of my biggest question marks. Not just that he would be able to do that, but produce at a high level. If he shoots the ball like this, I mean, you're talking about Big 12 Player of the Year, All-American candidate. He's not going to shoot 42% all year, but if he can go from being a 27% shooter like he has been to a 36, 37, 38% shooter from three, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who has the potential to be one of the top five, 10 players in the country. Speaking of which, Brady Dick might be a star. And we may only see a brief glimpse of that this year or in a Kansas uniform because this might be his only year at Kansas. It is rare to see a player with his skill set look so polished. He just looks like he belongs. That jumper is a thing of beauty, and that's what's going to get him a lot of attention. He's always set. He's always ready to fire. Lightning quick release. What's even more impressive, though, is that he knows how to come off screens. He gets himself in shooting position. That's the little stuff that you rarely see for a 17-year-old kid, even with a jumper as good as his is. He just looks like he knows how good he is, and that's great for a team that can't exactly wait for all of these freshmen to get acclimated. You need some of these guys, at least one of them, maybe two of them, to be immediate and consistent contributors right away. And Grady has single-handedly accelerated that process. I mean, even on a night where it didn't look like he was one of the top two or three guys in the court, he had a quieter night against North Dakota State than he did Omaha. He still finishes the game with 12 points. Again, that's who he is. He can score in bunches. It's not always going to be like, like he had in his debut with 20 plus points. But the fact that he's someone you have to pick up 25 feet away from the hoop, that is going to attract so much defensive attention. No, Even if he's having a quiet night, even if he's in a shooting slump, defenses have to account for him. Because even if he's cold, he can get hot really quickly and that can swing a game. This kid is the... If, if Jalen's your, your Batman, he's your Robin. If Jalen's the go-to guy... Brady's the other dude who's going to be getting consistent looks all season long, because even if the rest of his game isn't quite as polished, I do think he, he's better all around than he gets credit for. He's really active defensively. He's good in transition. He's longer. He's more explosive than he gets credit for. That jumper is how he's going to make his name. That jumper is going to be why he's probably going to be a first round draft pick, if not next year, eventually. And that is what Kansas needs in a year where you lost a lot of your shooting production from a season ago. Speaking of uh, defense, I think that Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris might be the best defensive backcourt that KU's had since Mario and Russ in 2008. I mean, both of those guys had two steals against North Dakota State. That's something that travels. Defensive activity travels, and this isn't, this is one of those things where I don't think you're drawing sweeping conclusions based off two games. We already knew who Dewan Harris was, and Kevin McCuller was one of the top wing-slash-guard defenders in the country during his time at Texas Tech. Overall, this team's activity level on defense has been really impressive. And that's a great sign because it's an effort thing. You can talk about explosiveness. You can talk about offensive ability, ball movement, shooting. You either have that stuff or you don't. In terms of defense, it's activity level. These guys happen to be very skilled defensively, and they're very active. It gives Kansas so many different options with what they can do defensively while you're waiting for that rim protection to come along. And even if it doesn't, you know you have the ability to pressure, you have the ability to trap guys, and those two guys are so smart and savvy defensively. That's something that's going to be consistent game in and game out. At that guard spot, though, the one guy... I feel like I slept on more than anybody else on this team was Bobby Pettiford. You know, you go back and you look at the start of last year. He plays double figure minutes in five of the first six games. Granted, Jalen wasn't playing for three of those. But at that time, beginning of last year, Dewan and Remy were both playing starter minutes. They were both playing 25 plus minutes a night. Still, Bobby Pettiford was coming in as a backup point guard, getting 15 plus minutes. And he was really good. Then the injuries happened and he never really got back on track. He has looked 
really solid, really confident and aggressive when he's been on the court. The first game, it was scoring. The second game, it was distributing eight assists, one turnover. He gives this team versatility and the ability to play two true point guards without sacrificing much defensively. I think some of the my favorite lineups have been with him and Dewan on the court together and doing more throwback comparisons. It's really the first time that the KU's had two point guards they could play simultaneously since Devontae and Frank. Now, I don't think anybody's going to mistake Bobby and Dewan for Devontae and Frank, but in terms of just having facilitators and ball handlers on the court, Kansas now has a lot of versatility with the lineups that they can employ putting two ball handlers out there together. MJ Rice made his debut. He missed the first two games. Well, he missed the exhibition game and then the season opener versus Omaha. He is raw, but I see why he flirted with going pro at a high school. I know there were rumors that maybe he would do something overseas. Maybe he would go to the G League. He ends up coming to Kansas. He sat out with the back injury for the first game. You just The second he steps on the court, he looks different. He looks different than the other guys because he has a pro. He looks like Wayne Selden looked like, even though maybe the skill set isn't as refined as a guy like Grady Dick. You see the, the physicality and the way that he plays, the aggressive nature, the confidence he plays with. He's going to have some games where he makes mistakes and is too aggressive and maybe bad shot selection and four fouls, I think, against North Dakota State. But the athleticism, the physicality, the skill set is there. And I think I talked to Matt Tate of the LJ World a couple of weeks ago. He said that even Bill Self had admitted that he's going to be a guy who will be much better in February and March than he is right now. But there's going to be a couple games where he explodes and where another team just cannot account for him. And if you're talking about this guy being first guy off the bench, second guy off the bench, that's firepower that most teams just don't have. I just, I love the athleticism of this team. I love the athleticism specifically of the big guys. Talking about KJ Adams and Ernest Uday. We'll see how they look in a game where they don't get a chance to run if the game slows down and they have to play more in the half court. I think that would be a true testament to what they can do because most of what we've seen from them is rim running and rebounding. How many lobs has KU thrown in the first two games? Like they're looking to do that down the court. That is their way to sort of get out of the half court is do some pick and rolls, some screen game and get those guys open lanes to the basket. Neither are all that polished offensively, which I do think could be exposed if they're forced to play in the half court more. But as of right now, just knowing that your identity is going to be defense and running, that to me would spell roles for them all season long, even if the rest of it doesn't come along right away. To be determined on rim protection, that's the other big part of it. You know that Bill Self is always going to lead towards defense, so if you can find a true rim protector defensively, that guy's going to have a leg up on the competition. Neither of those guys seem to necessarily check those boxes right now. They don't look all that disciplined, but if either of them, and I think Ernest is the guy, right? He's 6'10", 7'2", wingspan. He's got good athleticism. He's a little rigid, but if you can work on the defensive discipline to become a suitable rim protector, he probably is the dude that you look at in terms of unlocking this team's potential defensively. By the way, shout out to Andrew Payne, Jayhawk Talk, did a Twitter spaces after the game on Thursday when he mentioned that the team's identity is probably going to be creating havoc on defense and running the other way, which leaves me to wonder how Zach Clements fits in. He was a guy I thought was probably going to be the starting big before the season. Now, all of a sudden, seeing the way the rest of the team plays, right? Because before the season, a lot of it is just looking at individuals, what their skill set is. Is this guy better than that guy? How does he fit on the court? You wondered where the shooting was going to come from. Maybe that's where he comes in, a guy who likes to play outside in. If this identity is going to be running and creating defense, uh, creating havoc on defense, I'm not sure where he fits into the puzzle. I like the rotation the way it's looked. I would honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the minutes fluctuate, but that's your main eight the rest of the season. I think Bobby's got a, a, a pretty good advantage on Joe because of his versatility. He's a little more polished than Joe is as the backup point guard. But if you look at the starting five that we've seen through the first two games and told me that the, the three guys coming off the bench would be Bobby, Ernest, and maybe Ernest ends up starting and MJ Rice. 
I'd feel pretty confident that that's probably going to be your main eight the rest of the season. And as we know, with Bill Self, by the time you get to March, that eight probably gets closer to seven. And at this point, I don't know who you're leaving out because everybody's making a pretty solid case for themselves. CJ Moore of The Athletic, the piece is really interesting where he got to sit down with Kansas head coach Bill Self and watch the 2022 National Championship game. And Bill Self sort of narrates his thoughts as watching it. So first, I just want to start with this. When you sat down and you watched that game, did you get a sense for how many times he had watched it since that game back in April? Yeah, I asked him. He said quite, quite a few. Uh, second half more than the first half. And, um, he said, you know, he's like, well, do you just want to watch the first half or just the second half or the whole thing? I was like, well, I'll do the whole thing if you'll do the whole thing. So, um, I think he was more familiar with the second half than he was the first. (laughs) He probably, probably hasn't viewed it too many times, but no, I, I, I think he has quite a few times. I would imagine most years when you don't win the national championship, if you are going back and watching those games, you're trying to glean lessons to learn or things that that you can try and fix in the future. Did you get a sense of like why he goes back and watch? Is it is it, is it like most people where you want to go back and relive those moments? Or do you think there's still that coaching aspect of trying to figure out what worked? I mean, I think it's part of his process to always go and watch a game right after it ends. Like most coaches, I think watch their game the night of, um, I think whether he wins or loses his last one, he probably does that at some point, whether it's that night or in the next couple of days, I would guess. Um, so he probably still did that. Like, I'm not guessing he didn't that night. Cause he had some beers to drink. <laughs> but, um, the next, you know, the next couple of days, I'm sure he went back and just watched it from start to finish. But other than that, I, I think it's just pure enjoyment. I mean, he's, he's 59 years old. He's, entering his 30th season he pretty much has an idea of how he wants to play. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going back and learning anything from it, but yeah, I just think I'm sure he wanted to relive that a little bit, just like Kansas fans wanted to. So was there anything that, that you took away from watching the game with him in terms of the, the nuances of the game or how it played out that maybe you hadn't paid as much attention to beforehand that maybe gave you a different perspective after watching with him? Um, I mean, maybe, you know, like the, the play that, that I lead the story with, which is the second to last David McCormick bucket. Um, I hadn't necessarily thought about that play within that much detail yet, but um, for the most part, like, I've watched so much Kansas basketball in my life and like studied this, this coach, this individual so much. And, um, then nothing really surprised me. Um, I kind of feel like I know what he's going to say most of the time. Um, but it was still fun to like, you know, hear him break down each individual play and here's how we, um, you know, this is why we run this in this particular way. Um, you know, definitely some things to learn, like just from, from that you learn, just sitting there watching it with him. Um, but for the most part, like, I don't know, nothing, he didn't say anything that like really shocked me. Probably not the best endorsement for, uh, for going through the story, but, uh, I do, I do think people will really enjoy it. Like it's, it's fun. I had fun with it. I think more than anything, more than like him breaking down the, the different details of how things played out and how he felt. I thought one of the most interesting things about reading that piece was you kind of more so commenting on his emotional wave, like rewatching it for probably the 15th or 20th time. And yet it still feels like he's going re going through those emotions, the frustrations oh, yeah. and the joys that, that when the, you know, the game, the ebbs and flows of that game. That's what's so funny. It was just like, he can't help, but like, gosh, dang it, David, yo, baby, you know, all, all that, uh, as he goes through it, just, just, he's constantly in that coaching mode. Like these guys are gone. He'll never coach them again, but he's still sitting there coaching them. And, you know, he knows they're about to play like just crap for a 10, 15 minute stretch in the first half. And it just like the things they did still bug him. Like he had him prepared for that moment, you know, like, 
we, we should have been executing this and should have been executing that. And even though they went, win in the end, like those things will never not bug him as he watches a game. Like what, why we do that? You know? Um, and that's the great ones. I think that's what makes them great is like, they, they just don't, um, ever let up. They don't, they don't ever accept, Oh, you know, sometimes we're going to screw up. It's just like, yeah, sometimes we're going to screw up, but let's, let's keep that to a minimum. Now, I had I hadn't watched I haven't rewatched the game. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't rewatched it since, you know, a day or two after the final. And one thing that that maybe got lost through time, but then when it happened, I go, Oh yeah, I remember thinking this as it was happening and the day after was Dewan down the stretch. Again, like I everybody remembers when you go back and watch it, like, oh yeah, he took over that game defensively. But I sort of had to remind myself like, oh, yeah, he kind of single handedly got Kansas back in the game with his defense. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is sort of cherry picking, but I don't feel like that's gotten talked about enough during the reminiscing and remembering that game, like just how much he sort of willed them back into the game on that end of the court. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's probably purposeful that Bill Self brought that up to me um, as we're watching the game. like. Um, and he, he just loves the guy. Like he just absolutely loves coaching Dewan Harris. He always has from, from the, from the first time, uh, the, he showed up on campus. I remember in the fall of Dewan's freshman year, um, when he had to redshirt because, you know, he wasn't eligible to, uh, to play that year. And I remember talking to Bill couple times during that, that preseason and just being, he, him just being like, man, I, 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 you know, I love this Dewan Harris guy. Like he just, his team always wins. He, he just makes everybody better, yada, yada. And I think he's always had a real appreciation for the way he plays and probably realizes, you know, he was a guy that some fans were frustrated with last year because he can't score and he can't shoot. And people just want the big, you know, the glitzy thing, which was Remy Martin. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, it was a battle between for him, like how much do I put this Remy Martin guy out here, but you know, I'm going to ride with, I'm going to ride with Dewan Harris. Like I'm not, if, if, if Remy's going to play some, it's not going to be, you know, because I'm going to bench Dewan Harris. And, um, I, I think he really has an appreciation for, for what he did to for him in that game. And, you know, like he said, he, he's, he's the one that flipped it. It was interesting thinking, like reading that, looking at the juxtaposition between what you just said about Dewan sort of checking every box that Bill Self would want in a point guard and Remy being that shiny object, the flashy toy who can make the big shots and is this electric must watch player, but also does a lot of things that probably pisses his coaches off. He's not always assignment sound. He doesn't always take the best shots. He's not always in the right place defensively. And Mm -hmm. kind of going back towards the season and the passing of his father and maybe how that could have changed him. I know this is sort of a hypothetical that's difficult to answer, but it did have me wondering five years ago if if a guy like Remy would have been given the leash and the leeway that he was given down the stretch in the season. Because up until that point, he hadn't exactly earned it the way you would expect for Bill Self to like give that trust to a player. But yet, in the most critical moments, he did sort of let him be him. And obviously, it worked out for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I touch on the piece that I, I think, you know, maybe we're seeing a little gentler or calmer bill self. I, I don't, I mean, not to an extreme in any sort of way, but I do think as um, as coaches age, they, they think deeply about how I act, how I come across, how my body language or my energy affects my team. And I do think he has had some internal battles with like, why in the NCAA tournament do sometimes my guys just come out tight? Like, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm saying? And for whatever reason, he seemed to like strike the right chords with, with this team. Like, I, I just think he, he got them playing pretty free and easy in the final four. I mean, really, but it's kind of funny too. Like in a way they played tight against Creighton. Um, they came out poorly against Miami. I mean, it's kind of revisionist history to be like, Oh, they were just letting rolling it out there and we're free and easy and let it go because they played tight against Creighton and they played pretty tight in the first half against Miami, but they had a way to like flip it. 
And that K state game, I thought was like a huge lesson for them and that, Hey, no matter how poorly it's going, if we bump our energy up and we get it going defensively, we can flip a game like that. I mean, that K-State game was like the, the best example. I mean, it was a record-breaking comeback, right? Um, and so I, I think the fact that that K-State game happened, like probably in a way helped them win that national championship game. And, and um, maybe it was the way Bill framed the half times and, you know, like just kind of like, Hey guys, like, I think he's always had a positive vibe of like the, if you go back to the first championship 2008, I mean, that was a miracle that they came back. Right. Like it, it looked like they were dead. And I think he's always had his teams, the Missouri game in 2012, he's always had a way of like keeping his teams being like, okay, we got, we, we've got a chance here. Like we've got a chance here, but um, maybe in a way he's figured out, just, I've got to stay calm. And, and, you know, every coach kind of, you only get so many times where you can blow up on a team and maybe he's kind of figured out the times when he blows up and the times when he doesn't. I want to get to this year's team, but obviously the news came out last week that KU imposed these sanctions, Bill Self, Curtis Townsend going to miss four games, reduction of scholarship. They were pulled off the recruiting trail for four months. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reduction of Uh, recruiting communications. What's your main read on KU's decision to do this now and, and what they're hoping it accomplishes in the long term? I think they're in communication with, with the IARP. And I I think that they're, they're not just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks. I think that there is a, um, there's at least been feedback from, from what they've tried to come up with and, um, that's the impression I get, um, predicting how these things play out. I've, I'm like done with, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I do think that, um, you know, it's possible. They just might accept what they did and, or, or what they're punished, what the self-imposed punishments are and, um, whether they'll add much more, I, I don't know what, cause, cause I don't think that there's, um, KU is just, like I said, going at this and being like, well, maybe if we do this, they'll just not do anything to us because we did it. I, I think there has been com- communication between the two parties. Going back to when all this broke September 2017, which is crazy to think about how long ago this whole saga began and sort of the speculation that we all did as to how this was not just going to affect the schools involved, but what effect it would have on the sport. I know that's the now infamous quote of we have your playbook, which sort of elicits eye rolls at this point. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at the road that this has taken and that it hasn't had the sweeping impact? And I know guys went to prison over this assistant coaches, which is sort of separate from what we're talking about now, but it felt like such a massive moment in the sport that five years later, it's like, man, we kind of overplayed how this thing was going to play out in college basketball. I think if the IARP wasn't created that the NCAA would have done its damnedest to like hit these schools hard. Mm -hmm. And I think if the NCAA could go back, they'd probably eliminate the creation of the IRP because they would love nothing more than to, to, to to show that they like can rule with an iron fist, but like, it's all, you know, it's ridiculous. But isn't that sort of the whole point? Because it wasn't even first they, that they had the commission on college basketball, right? with Condoleezza Mm -hmm. Rice. And they were the ones who said, we need an independent sort of resolutions panel, which like, it's so odd is that you're, you're right. The NCAA is probably not pleased with how this played out, but that was kind of the whole point. They picked the panel. Yeah. So, um, they're, you know, they can point the finger back at themselves there, but, but I, but yeah, I I do think that they would, and, and, in an ideal world for them, like they wanted to, to, to make a statement and the statement is, Mm. <laughs> let's just like, but the, what's frustrating for, for everybody involved is just like, let's just get it over with. Like yeah, when I'm writing about this, I, I can't even remember what half the th- stuff is that I'm writing about. Sometimes I got to go back and look and see. And, you know, it's just like, can we just, I just, I just, I just want to dice up some X's and O's, Nick. <laughs> well, okay. Well then I've got, I got one final question for you because this is, 
I wonder whether you've talked explicitly with other coaches or if you've just gotten a sense. Do you think there is frustration from coaches around college basketball with the way this has played out? What's the sense that you've gotten with how the, the past five years have impacted the sport? Yeah, I, I do think there are definitely some that are bitter and frustrated. Um, you know, I had a coach the other day tell me like, so can you know, Kansas took Townsend and, and Bill Self off the road this summer and they've got the recruiting limitations. He's like, well, they're still getting the best players. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know, like, um, there's probably some bitterness and frustration there, but, um, I mean, for the most part, people just want it to be like, to like, let's have some resolution. Like, why is it take, why is it tough to take so long? Okay. Let's get into some of those X's and O's now that you, uh, you did your penance of IARP talk. Okay. Let's remove defending national champions from Kansas's resume this year on paper. How good do you think this team can be with everything they've lost and, and what they return? Um, well, you know, first of all, I got to eliminate those first couple minutes of the Pittsburgh state <laughs> out of my mind, right? You don't have to. Didn't look so hot there for a minute. Um, I, I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I, I think that um, Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson are two really solid pieces to to build veteran pieces to build a team around. Um, Dewan Harris is what Dewan Harris is. Um, you know, he's going to defend really well. He's going to get guys the ball in spots where they should probably get it. Um, Grady Dix, you know, makes sense as the floor spacer shooter. He kind of showed a little bit more, but again, it was against a D2 team um, in the game the other night. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest question mark KU has, and it's yet to be answered, is like, and Bill Self's teams, like, go back and read my story from from today. Like, how important is getting the ball inside to him, right? Like, it's so, so important. And I'm like, as we're going through, I'm like, are you going to play that way this year? And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I think that the the five-man is a is a wor- his biggest worry right now. Like, what are we going to do at center? How, you know, who is going to step up and take this spot? Um, I think that's a little bit of a problem for them because like their, their system has always been built around that, but at the same time they have, um, you know, they had a team built last year that you didn't necessarily have to have David McCormick scoring a lot of points to be really good. Now he had to come through in the biggest moment for them to pull through, but you didn't have to have that. And I think he has enough wings off, you know, guys that can can go get it theirs off the bounce if they share it and they move it and they, you know, ball, ball and body movement, they're, they're going to figure out ways to get shots. Um, I do think the offense will maybe take a little bit of a step back, um, but defensively they could be pretty good. I mean, those, those big kids, the big freshmen, the one thing they can do is move pretty well. Um, if they figure out how to defend, you know, by January, February, this could be a pretty good defensive team and that you just hope scores enough. So I still think it's one of the best teams in the big 12, but that being said, like Baylor's really, really, really good. Again, um, I think TCU is going to be great. Um, Texas, I've been a little skeptical of how their pieces fit together, but man, they smoked, uh, who was it? They, they smoked, um, Oh, who they 30 piece Arkansas. So, you know, Texas could be, could be really good. And the Texas tech, you know, Mark Adams does a really good job there. So the, the league is going to just be super tough. Um, if Kansas ends up finishing like fourth, would I be shocked? No, I still picked them second, but um, I think it'll be a, it'll be a good year. I think there's potential that it's more like your 20, you know, two years ago than last season where two years ago, if you remember, like, we were coming off that season being like, Kansas needs all of this stuff, even though they really didn't get much. And then they went and won a national championship. So um, we'll see. I said last week that I think this team is going to have to rely upon having instant impact freshmen as much as any team that, that KU's had since the Wiggins and bead year, because I disagree with that. Well, the lack of returning production just isn't there. I guess you could say 2019, but looking back on it, they didn't get the impact from Grimes and McCormick right away. And obviously that was a pretty disappointing end. Why do you disagree with it? 
Because 2014, like your most two important guys were freshmen, right? Yeah, that's why I said since then. Like, I'm not saying it's more so, but I think you have to go back that far to find a team. Because this team, they need two guys. They need two guys to be a part of that eight-man rotation. Otherwise, I I mean, who are the guys coming off the bench? Your rotation is going to be Pettiford, KJ Adams, Zach Clements. Like, that's your six, seven, eight. Yeah. I mean, they've had years. Who was, who else was with Josh Jackson his freshman year? Um, who was the 2017? Was, um, was Udoka the next year? Yeah. Udoka no, would have, right? Udoka was a freshman that year, but he got injured at the beginning of the season and then landed yeah. Lucas ended up being the start of the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause they relied a lot upon Josh Jackson that season. Um, I don't know that I, I, I get what you're saying. So, so you're not saying it's equivalent to that year, but, but since then they haven't. Had yeah. I mean, because yeah, I don't could, think, you know, Grady Dixon come out here and lead the team in scoring or, um, you know, one of those, fr- I, I, I mean, I think Dick's the only one that will probably be in the top five leading scores for the team. Um, you know, but yeah, they, they are that five spot. I do think they're going to have to lean on. Like there's a know. separation between guys like Josh Jackson or even Devon Dotson, right? Who averaged like 12 points a game his freshman year. You look back on Quentin Grimes freshman year and say, oh, I gave you eight a game as a freshman. That's not bad. But this team can't afford like Grady Dick to be a Quentin Grimes freshman, right? He has to be one of your five best players. He has to be a guy you can kind of count on game in and game out. And there hasn't, there just haven't been that many years where I think you've looked at a Kansas team and said they need consistent play from freshmen. If they're going to reach their ceiling. That's fair. I'll give it to you. (laughs) How good do you think Dick can be? I know you wrote about him and he's one of those guys where regardless of like who they're playing, you just watch that jumper and you say, okay, that can play. And I know this team's going to need that this year. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I, I, you know, Sam Bassini and I just had our top 50 newcomers come out today. I argued for, and my dog, Lily, she is daylight savings time is making her. She's like, man, I am hungry. She always makes an appearance. She always makes an appearance, but she, she's, she's trying to get vocal here. Um, but you know, so anyway, Sam and I, I said, I, you know, I thought he's, he, he deserved to be on there. Sam's been here in, you know, scouts have gone through there, haven't been super impressed with him or, you know, it's going to be a few years before he's really, you know, a dude, but I, I do think his shot is a difference maker. I think, you know, from, from here to here, he's, he's about as good as it gets, but you know, for one of the first possessions get Penn state, he gets blown by, like he's going to have to guard to stay on the floor. Right. Like that's part of the reason Bill self, did not start him probably in that game because he hasn't been guarding to the level self once. I'm just making that assumption. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a really good shooter. He can do a little bit going to the basket too. Um, he's got great size. Like um, I, I, I think he's a pretty good player. I watched a lot of his sunrise tape and I actually, I watched a bunch of his tape from last summer or sorry, two summers ago. Um, his last summer on the grassroots circuit, I thought he made a jump from his summer to his high school season. Like he was a lot better in his high school season than I thought he was in the grassroots games. And um, no, he's, he's a really good shooter. um, And he's got a little bit more to his game than that. Um, I I think he could have a, he could have a nice year. I, I I would bet he's a top 50 newcomer in the sport. We'll see if Sam was right or me. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get to Lily here, but I got one last question for you with this team. Um, it seems like on paper, at least that Jalen is going to be the guy offensively. And it seems a little unique just based off his skill set. You know, you go back to last year and when he really hit his strides was doing all the little stuff, the effort plays and sort of breaking down when there wasn't a shot for Ochai or a, a post-up opportunity for Dave, he could sort of exploit those mismatches. Now, all of a sudden he's thrust into this sort of lead role for the offense. Do you think by the end of the season, we're going to be looking at a Kansas team that is running its offense through Jalen Wilson. And if so, what does that offense look like? Cause I'm struggling to remember the last time a Kansas team went through a guy at his position that wasn't necessarily a floor spacer or a shooter. I do think he'll shoot it better this year. And I, I, I think he'll take a lot of threes this year and I think he'll shoot it at a 
better, way better clip than he did last year. Um, you know, he, he is a, a, a mismatch for who, like, if you go back to that Providence game, he was the guy they were going through. And if you go back to before last season, could you really envision a world where Ochai Abaji was the dude? Like yeah. what in his game before that had really told you he's an alpha go-to score. Like he, he'd been a pretty good score the year before, but you hadn't thought of him as like the dude. Right. So I think it's possible that, that he makes the leap. Um, do I think he's going to have an Ochai like season? Probably not to that efficiency. He might score a lot of points for him because I think, he's, you know, if we're, we judge by the preseason game, which we probably shouldn't, but I think he's going to take a lot of shots. Um, but I do think it's going to be more through like Bill Self is going to find ways to get him downhill drives um, because as a mismatch for like that's his strength, um, you know, picking on guys, getting to the basket um, through movement. And um, so I, I, I do think he can be a big part of the offense, but, but Bill Self is never going to really build like an entire offense around one guy. Like even though Ochai was the dude last year, they didn't really build an offense around him where it was like, we got to get him shots all the time. Like he got shots through their stuff most of the time. Um, so, you know, I don't think we're going to see like this super, super, super high usage guy, but, but I do think he'll, he'll be the leading scorer and guy that takes the most shots. Really quick before I let you go, you said you, you think he'll shoot it better. Is that because you think that he's just been shooting below his capabilities or do you just feel like it's something that he's put a lot of work into? Both, both. Like I, he's a better shooter than his percentages said last year. I think he, I think the DUI got into his head. I think he came back trying to um, make up for lost time mm-hmm. and didn't really know the shots. Like, like he was just forcing the issue early on. Um, but if you look at his numbers, like conference season on, they were pretty good. They didn't shoot it great, but um, I think he's a better shooter than, than he showed last year. And I, I, I mean, I think he realizes like that's one of the big things for him to be able to continue playing basketball. He's got to shoot it better. So I'm, you know, I think he put in, put in the work this off season. I don't know that he had like an Ochai like mm-hmm. off season, or like, you know, shot so much that he hurt his elbow or whatever. But um, I, you know, my guess is he put in the work. By the way, it's a great way to end it. Uh, go, you can plug your your piece on Ochai last year, which was uh, a great feature as well. So uh, go check out the piece, theathletic.com. CJ Moore, thanks for the time as always, man. Thanks for having me, bud. Thanks for having Lily too. All right, Luke Grimm is a starting wide receiver for the bowl-eligible Kansas Jayhawks. Still three games left to go in the year. How's that sound, by the way? I know it's been a couple of days, but how does it feel knowing that you guys still with three games left on the schedule already bowl-eligible? It feels great to just prove all the hard work that we've been doing is paying off, and it's just awesome to see it. What were what were the goals that you guys as a team had set for yourself before the year? Um, for the offense, one of our biggest goals was to be one of the top five most improved improved off offenses in college football this year. And so we just got to keep doing that. And we're on a good pace for that. Um, our second goal was to play meaningful games in November that meant something for December football, which is what we're doing right now. And ultimately to get to the big 12 championship and to win one. I know you guys still have work to be, left to be done, Luke, but I'm going to go ahead and let you know. I think you guys probably going to wind up being one of the top five most improved offenses. And that's, I mean, you guys have been great this year, but it is more so about just how drastically different things have been from a year ago. And really your career as a whole coming into this year, two and 19 was your record at Kansas and to now be six and three with three games to go. I'm sure that was a long two years. Things start to happen when you, when you lose games, you start to kind of question yourselves. Did you ever question the path, the journey that you were on, did you ever think at some point that, that maybe it wasn't going to happen here? You weren't going to be able to reach the levels of success you guys have this year? Um, freshman year when we were here, it was definitely a struggle just because the morale of the team was so low that you were, you didn't want to like 
get sucked into it. And I think a lot of the freshmen stayed away from it. And we were all just like, we're going to turn this place around. It just depends on when. And then when Leipold and his staff came, we once everyone started buying into the program and that you could see that happening in the last quarter of last season when we started playing games close and then we beat Texas and then TCU was a close game and West Virginia was a close game. That was really when the majority of the team was bought into what they, their plan was. And basically this whole off season was just bringing in guys that are bought into it and everyone else buying into it and working on chiseling their rough edges and making us into a more complete football team. So everybody around the country is paying attention now because it's not just the two years you've been here. It's been a long time since Kansas has won at this level. And a lot of people started to question, like, can you win at Kansas? Is this just a program that's destined to be a bottom dweller in the big 12 and in power five because of all of the coaches that had come in and none of them had had any level of success. What, what did you notice right away about coach Leipold and his staff and what he was preaching and what he was trying to get you guys to buy into? Uh, the biggest thing was just focusing on the little details. And that's as little as when we get to the facility in the morning, we check in, and we put how long we slept, how we feel, um, what time we woke up, what time we went to bed. And then you take your vitamins, you check off that you took your vitamins, you take your supplements, you check off, you check off that you take your supplements. So just stuff like that and holding things like that accountable to where everyone on the team does them. And everyone on the team knows that if you don't do them, you're going to be punished for not doing it. And um, it's the same thing in the weight room. Like we always make sure that whenever you put a weight down or put a weight back on a rack, you turn the Jayhawk to where it's up. And if you don't, then everyone in the weight room is punished for that. And so it's just making sure that the little things are done right first before we can continue to just step up to wins and stuff like that. So that's interesting because I mean, that does you, you it's the little stuff. And I wouldn't look at that and say, okay, well, that's how you turn around a program, right? Making sure you're putting the weights on the right way or making sure you're logging your sleep. How does that translate to success? How does that translate to wins on Saturdays? Um, it just makes us to where we're all bought into the same plan. And when someone isn't, you're able to, like it's, it's exemplified. Everyone can see that they aren't. And it's obvious that, to them that they aren't as well. And it's kind of outcasted to where you either buy into what we're doing or you're going to look like the guy who's not bought in and everyone can see that. And then with everyone being bought in, if you slip up, your guys are able to check you without it being personal. Is that tough to do? Is that, is that, uh, how do you get to that point where, guys feel comfortable kind of checking each other. Is that something that maybe was lacking your first year at Kansas? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with you're trusting the other guy that they're doing what's best for you and kind of putting down, putting egos aside because nobody wants to be checked and nobody like when you're wrong, you know, you're wrong. And even though someone calls you out for it, you don't want to admit it, but you have to, to grow as a person. And so for our team, for us to grow, we had to go through a lot of uncomfortable situations at first to where now you can call someone out for like whenever you, whenever on offense, you run the ball, you're supposed to finish past the last defender in practice, regardless if you get touched at the line of scrimmage and they blow the whistle, you're supposed to finish past the last guy, even if he's 40 yards downfield. And there'll be days where, you know, you just ran like seven or eight plays in a row and you don't want to do it. And you turn around and you start to go back to the huddle and everyone is screaming at you, finish the play and you got to just turn around and run. So you're from the area, right? Peculiar Missouri. Am I saying that correctly? So you were, you were familiar, not a Kansas kid, but you're familiar with Kansas. Like I talked to Devin Neal a couple of weeks ago and you know, he was talking about what it meant as a Kansas kid, as a local kid growing up rooting for Kansas you were a little farther away and you, you're not a Kansas kid. And I think sometimes to be a Kansas kid and to play for a state school that maybe that takes on an added meaning. You didn't necessarily have that, but I would imagine you were familiar 
with the program. What led you to Kansas? You knew that they hadn't done a ton of winning, but what was it about playing for Kansas that was appealing to you? So the biggest for me at the time was um, Coach Jones. I had a good relationship with him and all the receiver commits in my class. We all had a group chat together and we were really um, like connected. We, we all liked each other. We all hung out whenever we were here. And then the people that I live with now, I, Trevor Cardell and Will Huggins, I've lived with them for three years here. Um, I've known Will for five years. I've been working out with him at top speed in Lenexa. And then Trevor Cardell, I grew up playing football with him. And so kind of having those two connections and especially Trevor, just, I mean, we've played football since we were six years old together and just having friends like that and knowing that we could come here and turn this place around was kind of the biggest thing for me. I want to talk a little bit more about this offense because you return basically everyone from a season ago. In your eyes, what's changed with this offense that's allowed you guys, as you mentioned earlier, to be one of the most improved offenses in the country this year? Yeah. Um, like I said, with the details thing, um, just really focusing in on what you have to do on a play. So it could be, you know, a pass play that's meant for like a screen for a running back and you've got to run a take two posts and you got to go 10 yards and then try to drive through the safety to where you're taking the corner and the safety away before you're kind of like, you know, I really don't want to run this cause it's, you're going to run like 40, 50 yards on the play without getting the ball. But it's like, I need to do this because if we get a huge play on this, then we'll go tempo. I have a good chance of getting a good rep. And then you're really just doing it for the team instead of for you. And I think that was the biggest thing over the past two years that I've been here is that this year, it doesn't matter who gets the success because we're all getting the success. Okay. So you just kind of spoke to it, but for you personally, you've already eight games this season. You've already set career highs in catches. You've set career highs in receiving yards. You've tied your career high in touchdowns in a season. And yet you still have three games left and that's just in the regular season. What has allowed you to take such a big step this year? Um, just the variety and our play calling and the amount that we're on the field. Um, we don't have, we don't often go three and out and we had before a lot. And so that helps out a ton whenever you can have, you know, 10, 12, 15 play drives, you get more opportunities to get catches, more opportunities to run the ball and, uh, just kind of rounding off my game, making me a better player so I can, win and get the one-on-one opportunities that I've been given this year and putting trust in the coaching staff that I will make the play whenever the ball comes my way. What kind of adjustments have you guys had to make this year? Do you notice that all the defenses are playing you differently than they were early in the season? Yeah. um, Earlier in the season, we faced a lot of zone and that may be just because the teams that we feel that we faced then, but these past couple of weeks, um, we've been facing man and the people have been blitzing us a lot to try to disrupt our backfield action with, you know, the quarterbacks meshing and options and running. And so I think one of the biggest things that we've noticed is that um, like for Oklahoma state, they really didn't blitz a lot. I think they blitzed like 18% of the time, but they blitzed us like 44% of the game. And so you could definitely tell that they were trying to influence our backfield action and make things uncomfortable for the quarterbacks and running backs back there. So I think just the multiplicity of our offenses really made it to where defenses can't prepare for one thing. They have to kind of adjust what they're doing to us. So to that, to that same point, have you guys like, have you guys had to change much schematically or is it more about just the situational when you're watching film, seeing the tendencies of defenses, trying to maybe think one step ahead? What's that sort of process like for you guys week to week now that you know the tapes out on what you guys are doing offensively? Yeah, um, no, we haven't changed anything. Um, We just... We installed all of our plays in spring and fall, and we knew what we were going to run, and we've stuck to it. And I think that's what's um, 
done so well for us is that we know it in and out through and through and we know it works. And so we just have to make it work. It's down to execution. It's not really up on the play calling. It's really up to the 11 guys on the field to get their job done. So obviously Jalen gets injured in that TCU game. Jason comes in, plays really well in the second half. Then you guys have to go on the road uh, into Oklahoma and Baylor. You lose those games. You finally get to come back home. Oklahoma State was a little banged up, but it just felt like the buildup to that game. There was this excitement level because you guys had for a couple of weeks had the opportunity to clinch a bowl berth, but now all of a sudden you're back at home and Jason, Jason gets the win. You guys play great. You get the win. And then I think it was the KU official account that released the video of Jason getting emotional on the sidelines. Can you just talk about what he's given you this, this last month or so as he was the starting quarterback last year, gets injured. Jalen comes in, kind of wins that job. But now for him to come back in, kind of have to battle out there throughout this season through a really tough stretch, but then leading that offense and having a, a really huge victory to clinch a bowl last week. What's he men, meant to you guys as he's had to sort of fill in this last month or so? Yeah, I mean, him coming in and doing what he's done is as amazing as it gets. Um just his ability to persevere and stick through tough times is uh, eye-opening. He, like I said, it, um, it like you said, it's not easy to lose a starting job to someone, and for him to stick through and trust the process of what the coaches are saying and believing in the team and not just thinking about himself, um, really just shows his true character and how good of a person he is. And so for us to go out there and get that win, not only for the program, but for him, um, it was just awesome to see his reaction to it because I I couldn't imagine the emotions that I'd be overcome with when that happened for me because it was his first Big 12 win. And we wanted nothing more. We talked about it all week in the receiver room that our one goal this week was to get Jason this win so it can be his first Big 12 win because we knew how much it would mean to him. And obviously it means a ton for the program too. Now that you're bowl eligible, still three games to go. You talked earlier about the goals that you set up before the season. Do you guys allow yourself to add to that list of goals as you sort of see the wins start to pile up now, six wins, three to go. Everything's still out in front of you. You guys still have a chance at potentially playing in the, the big 12 championship game. Do you guys allow yourself to change your expectations to increase your expectations at all throughout the year? I would say yes and no. I think because we we've all wanted that dream of and that goal of going to the Big 12 championship that has never been a goal. It's never not been a goal. Um, but at the moment, we're just kind of going through where, like you had said, that everyone was kind of waiting for this sixth win for the bowl game. Um, we were just worried about one at a time and getting through it. Like now that we won this one, we just want to win the next one. And we're not going to be satisfied with, you know, we just won the bowl game that we got. We just won that game to get to a bowl game and we lose the next three. Like that's not going to be okay with anybody on the team and nobody wants that. We all want to finish off the season the way we started it and win out and do the best that we can. I asked Devin about this guy because he is fascinating to me. I want to know how his brain works. I, I described him as a mad scientist. That's your OC. Andy Kovic. (laughs) I I watched some of the stuff that you guys are running and it's not just me. Like I I see guys from around the country, national writers are just looking at the play calling and and the the innovation, the pre-snap movement and the misdirection. There's nobody in college football who's doing it quite like you guys are. How would you go about describing Andy Kotelnicki and how his mind works? I think if you were to open up his brain, he'd have a bunch of gears and kind of sprockets back there spinning and turning. Um, yeah, he's always going at a hundred percent. I'm whether it's, you know, the first walkthrough of the morning and it's seven o'clock or it's, you know, nine o'clock at fall camp at night and we're about to go to bed. He's always the same. He's always, his brain's going a hundred percent of the time. Um, Really, he just installed this offense 
and believed in us that we could do it. And that's pretty much the extent of it. He believes everything that we can do on paper. And that's what we're doing right now. All this motion, all of these different tactics that he's putting in, we've all seen it throughout the last 10, 11 months. And right now he just trusts us enough and we're just executing to his liking on it. So it's really part him, part us. We're executing at the, at the rate that he wants. And then his brain is just able to keep coming up with new ideas and new play concepts and new ways to set up a play and stuff like that. So is it exciting when you guys, when, I don't know what day of the week you do it, but when you go through the installs throughout the week or you see what you guys are going to be doing, like, are you guys looking forward to that every week yeah, just to so, see what he's coming up with? Yeah. So we get an install uh, Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Thursday. So the night before you'll get the install. So like Sunday night, it'll say day one, Texas tech install. And I think this week it had 50 items on it, 50 different plays. And so you're going through it and you're like, Hey, we ran this play last week, except it's completely dressed up differently. And you're like, I don't even know how he thinks about it. Cause this is what week 10, week 11, something like that. And this is, I've never seen it this way before. So he's ran it 11 different ways. Cause it's the same thing we've ran since week one. So just the, it's a, it's crazy to see how many ways that he can come up with one thing and it'd be the same thing at the end of the day. Do you guys ever say like, this isn't going to work? Like how, how are, how are we going to do this? Honestly, no, because like, I, like I said, at the end of the play, it ends up being the same thing. Like it's either a run or a pass and it's up to us to execute it. And so whatever he's got drawn up, we just got to buy into whatever it is. And then we run it during practice and we run it to the way that he likes it. Then we, we believe it's going to work in a game. You know, I, I, I watched some of those plays and I think to myself like, man, they must have had to rep this 70, 80 times because there's so many, I look at it and I think a lot of people like who are watching on TV, you look at it and there's so many moving parts and I'm thinking the play caller must have a ton of faith in these guys because if one guy isn't in the right spot, if one guy doesn't do the right thing, the whole thing kind of seems to to fall apart. Is it? that complex for you guys or is it more simple than maybe it looks to the naked eye? Um, I think it's more simple than it looks to the naked eye. When we installed all of this um, during spring ball and fall camp, uh, one thing that our coaching staff likes to use is same as teaching. So one play is kind of is the same as this one. So even though that they are different, like they're in the same families. And so like a lot of our, grouping things are in the same family of play style, play like type, however you want to call it. But I can understand how it looks complicated on TV because whenever you watch it back, you're like, wow, we're moving almost 90% of the game pre-snap and stuff like that. But to us, it's just it's kind of the same as studying for a quiz. I mean, you do it enough to where, it kind of just becomes muscle memory at that point. All right. So before I let you go, uh, I want to know if you got any NIL deals. It's been very fruitful for a lot of people around the program oh. this year. One of the perks of, of winning is everybody wants a piece. So uh, do you have any NIL deals that you want to plug before I let you go? Oh yeah. Um, Chinook Seedery. They're a Texas based sunflower seed brand. They've got eight flavors. They're all delicious. Uh, best one is jalapeno ranch. And uh, if you use my code GRIM2, you get 10% off your order. There you go. GRIM2. And that's GRIM with two M's. Luke, GRIM, it's a pleasure to talk to you, man. It's been so much fun watching you guys this year. I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to hop on with me, man. Yep. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find us. Thank you so much for the time. It's Waving the Wheat, 610 Sports Radio. Talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 